Right, well, normally when we do our Bible studies, it's in what I would call reasonably fine detail. Uh, in fact, when we do our expository series, uh, it's almost literally verse by verse. So, your normal experience of the Bible teaching here is, is, is that it is fairly detailed. And uh, if you were to liken it, say, for instance, to map making, all right, then the approach we've taken to teaching here, like so far down the years, has been uh, to sort of um, getting to know the town that we want to map by systematically walking up and down all the streets. And, 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 and by and large, that's the, the kind of teaching that we've been doing here, on the ground stuff, so to speak. So, you know, sort of say that mapping a town equals Bible teaching, all right? The approach that we've taken thus far is kind of fairly detailed up and down all the streets, looking at the whole thing, as it were, from the ground. But tonight we start something totally different, okay? And uh, our Bible survey is going to take a completely different approach. And uh, the approach it's going to take is more to get up in the sky and we're going to be flying around in a helicopter. Because what we're going to be doing is rather than walking up and down the individual streets and mapping from the ground, because, I mean, we've done that in lots of series and talks, and we're going to continue doing it in lots of series and talks. That, that kind of will keep on the go. But what we're going to do now for the first time is, is, is begin this, this Bible survey where we're going to be doing aerial photography. We're going to view the whole thing from the air. We're going to look at the town, if you like, from above it. And uh, so not street-to-street -street detail, that's for other series that we've done and that we will do, but what we're doing now, or starting to do now, is to get a complete overview, the wider picture. Not fine details, but the broadest possible sweep. And what we're basically going to do is a general study of each book in the Bible. That is what this series is going to accomplish. That's why I've called it a Bible survey. And what we're going to do is we're going to fit them all together, each individual book in the Bible, we're going to fit them all together in our minds and we're going to see how they link up, we're going to see how they relate to each other. And we're going to see precisely, in fairly general terms, what each book is actually about. Now then, as we proceed uh, down the weeks and the months, uh, here and there we'll be doing like talks that can take in more than one book at a time, because there are some very, very short books in the Bible. Uh, but by and large, it's going to average out that each study we will do one book in the Bible. And obviously, we're going to start from the beginning. We're going to be very systematic about this. So we're going to go through each book in the Bible virtually one by one, one book per talk. So it's quite a project, and it's, it's, it's going to take quite a long time. We're not going to be doing it every week without fail. Uh, you know, so it, it, it could well end up taking, you know, sort of like a year or two years, but we'll intersperse it, you know, with other series and other talks, etc., etc. But I think we can expect to be doing this on and off over the next couple of years at least. And uh, what we're going to do tonight for the first talk, Lee, completely wrong again, 
<laughs> isn't going to start with a particular book or Genesis, okay? That, that isn't what we're going to do. Tonight, we're, we're going to be doing a general introduction to kind of set the scene to the whole series. And, uh, and for tonight's talk, in fact, we're not going to be going up in a helicopter. That will be for all the other talks, you know, like the helicopter flying around looking down on the town. Tonight, we're going to be looking through the lens of a spy satellite. We're really going to go up high. Or to put it another way, tonight we are going to cover the whole Bible in one talk. Tonight is a talk on the whole Bible. So therefore, if I start to talk very quickly, <laughs> it's because I'm desperately running short of time. So what we're going to do tonight, all right, is the Bible in a nutshell. All the books of the Bible in a nutshell. Now let's, 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 let's do a bit of general first. Because the Bible, okay, a book, but it's in fact a library. It's a library of 66 books. Each of these books inspired by God and infallible. There are no mistakes in it. It's a perfect book, okay, infallible. And the 66 books which go together to make the Bible tell us all we need to know in order to get saved, in order to come into salvation, and then once we are saved, it tells us everything we need to know about how to carry on following the Lord and living as he desires. That's what the Bible's for, simple as that. Now it's divided into two parts. There's the Old Testament, or Covenant, because Testament and Covenant, same thing. I refer you back to our Law and Grace series. There's the Old Testament, or Covenant, and there's the New Testament, or Covenant. The Old Covenant comprises 39 books. The New Covenant comprising 27 books. Now, underline this, all right, because what I've got to do tonight is, is find ways to give you a thumbnail understanding of the Bible... Bible in its entirety. The Old Testament basically is the account of a nation. So every time you think Old Testament, underline that in your mind. The Old Testament is an historical account of a nation. Whereas the New Testament is an account of a man. So get that. The Old Testament is an account of a nation. The New Testament is the account of a man. And the nation of which the Old Testament is an account was founded and nurtured by God solely and purely to be the means whereby the man whom the New Testament is about could come through. That is the purpose of the nation that the Old Testament is all about. Simply to be the nation whereby the man who the New Testament is about could come into the world. And of course the nation was Israel. And the man was Jesus. Jesus being the human being. Jesus being the man whom God became. The ultimate revelation of God. When God becomes a man in terms we can understand and the means of salvation. 
And so therefore, when it comes to the Bible, Jesus, his appearance on earth, his life, his death, him being raised from the dead and ascending back into heaven, that event, the life of, of, of him, is, is, is the central event of history. And therefore, it's the central event of the Bible. The Bible boils down to being the book that tells us about the man whom God became in order that we could be saved. And the Old Testament sets the stage for the appearing of Jesus. How God worked in history to eventually bring about the nation through whom Jesus came into the world. So the Old Testament sets the stage for the appearance of Jesus and the New Testament describes the appearance of Jesus. Now, under the, underline those two things in your mind and immediately, in the broadest possible terms, you understand the Bible in its entirety. The Old Testament is an account of a nation. The New Testament is the account of a man. And the nation was brought into being purely to be the means whereby this man, Jesus, could appear. Now, let's kind of break it down a little bit more technically, all right? And uh, we'll do the Old Testament first. How does the Old Testament break down? Well, it comprises of 39 books. So in the Old Testament, you've got 39 books. And they come into three categories. Now, at this point, if you actually turn in your Bibles to the index, <laughs> because if you have your Bible open at the index, that is going to be exactly what we're going to be doing tonight. So I suppose you can call this a kind of a Bible study on the index of the Bible. All right? So just, just keep your Bibles open at the index and follow through with me. So in the Old Testament, 39 books break down into three categories. There are historical books. Secondly, there are poetical, or what are called wisdom, books. And thirdly, there are prophetic books. And it just so happens that that is the order. You get historical books first, then you get the poetical or wisdom books, then you get the prophetic books. Now then, so we start with the historical books. There are 17 of them. So the first 17 books of the Bible are called historical books. And they are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They're the first five, uh, known as the Pentateuch or the Law of Moses. This is followed by Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Now, there are the first 17 books of the Old Testament, the historical books. And what you have in those 17 books, in that particular compilation, what you have is a more or less chronological account of world history insofar as it relates to Israel. And that history begins in Genesis at the creation, around 4000 BC, although Abraham and 
the nation of Israel didn't come about until 2000 BC. But nevertheless, in Genesis, the account starts at 4000 BC, and it goes up, all right, until about 400 BC, when the Old Testament writings come to an end. So the first 17 books are from 4000 BC up till about 400 BC, 400 BC being the era of the time at which the Old Testament came to an end. So there's the first 17 books. Next, you get the poetical books, and there are five of them. Poetical or wisdom, all right? Um, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. Now, what you have there are the five books which basically don't fit into either category. They don't quite fit into historical, although Job is historical. But then neither do they quite fit into prophetic either. They're, they're kind of, they're neither one thing nor the other. And they're called the, uh, the um, poetical or wisdom books. And uh, when we actually come to do them, you'll, you'll understand why they are in that kind of category. And then following that, all right, we've had the historical and then the poetical or wisdom. And then we have the 17 prophetic books. So there are 17 historical, all right, think of that one slice of bread. All right, then you get the poetical, so there's, there's your jam, all right. And now you get 17 prophetic books. There's the other slice of bread, so think of it as a sandwich, all right. And the 17 prophetic books, and remember these... We're going through, the, these are all in the order in the Bible, so you can follow through in your index, alright? But the prophetic books are these. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. If you're very lucky as we go through this, I'll explain to you how some of them got their names. Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. All right? So there are the 17 prophetic books. Called prophetic books because they revolve around prophets. You see, it's so, it's so, it's just so easy. Already you're coming to understand the Old Testament in a way you've never done before. Now then, these break down into two categories. There are the major prophets and the minor prophets. All right? Now, the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, right? So there are three major. So the first three uh, prophetic books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, tend to be referred to as the major prophets. The rest are the minor prophets. But that is to do, not with how important their message is, but the length of the book. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel are very long books, whereas the other prophets are much shorter, so hence the major or minor. Now, the, the odd book out in all the prophetic books is Lamentations. Um, but in fact, you will see when we get there that Lamentations is actually a postscript to the book of Jeremiah. So really, it's like Jeremiah part two. And, uh, you know, so Jeremiah wrote Lamentations as well. And in these prophetic books. What we have are either the writings of or the stories about various prophets, Jewish prophets whom God raised up, who fit in 
at various points along the historical time scale covered by the historical books. So remember, you've got from Genesis through to Esther covering the history of the world and particularly Israel. All right? Israel's history as a nation. Then you get the poetical books. Then you get these 17 prophetic books. And each of the prophets who either wrote these books or each of the prophets whom the books are about, they fit in somewhere in the time scale covered by the historical books, Genesis through to Esther. And, um, you know, sort of like there, there, there are exceptions. I mean, most of the prophets, or nearly all of them, were concerned with bringing God's word to Israel. So they were prophets. Jewish prophets raised up to bring God's word to Israel. But, for instance, Jonah, who was a prophet to Israel, was also an evangelist to Nineveh. And his book isn't about him being used as a prophet to Israel. His book is how he was used as an evangelist to the Gentiles. But by and large, they're the stories or the books of the prophets who were raised up at various points in Israel's history in order to bring God's word to them. Okay. And uh, as I say, the order that we've gone through them is the order in which they um, appear in the actual Bible. So then, what we've covered is basically the index of your Bibles as far as the Old Testament. The first half of the Old Testament, the historical books, they cover the 3,600 year history from creation until 400 BC when the Old Testament kind of history came to an end. Okay. And, um, and that history, of course, is absolutely vital because it sets the scene for the eventual coming of Jesus into the world in the New Testament. So then, can you just clear that in your mind? The first 17 books deal with the history of the world and Israel as a nation. Then you get the five poetical books. Then the second half of the Old Testament are the prophets, and they fit in at various points along the time scale of Israel's history. And of course, as we go through this series, we're going to be seeing where each prophet fitted in, what his message was, and, and what era of history they were raised up in. Okay. So then, uh, where, where do we go from, from there? Right, let's, let, let's at that point move on to the New Testament now. Okay, and just, just give it the same kind of breakdown. In the New Testament, you've got 27 books. And these 27 books break down into four categories. Category number one is what we call biographical. And there are four of them, and they are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. And they're called biographical because they are the biography of Jesus. Remember, the Old Testament is the account of a nation. The New Testament is the account of a man. So you get the Gospels, the biography of Jesus. Then the next category is historical. Now, there's one of them, and it's the Acts of the Apostles. And basically, that carries on from the Gospel stories, and you have the birth and development of the New Testament church 
which covers about 30 years. And uh, you know, as you'll see when we come to do it, it's important to remember that when you start reading the Acts, by the time you get to the end of it, you've read uh, something that covered 30 years. It's very easy to read the Acts of the Apostles and think it's only covering a year or so. It's not, it's 30 years. And, uh, you know, as we're going to be seeing that when we get there, probably in about a year's time. All right. Now then, the next category, and there are 21 books in the next category, by far the largest, is the teaching books, or if you want their technical name, the pedagogical, because that's from the Greek word for, for, for teaching. The teaching books, and there are 21 of them. Let's just list them. You've got Romans, you've got 1 and 2 Corinthians, you've got Galatians, you've got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus and Philemon. Now all those are Paul the Apostle. Then you get Hebrews, written by no one knows who. Then you get James, written by James, the brother of Jesus. Then you get 1 and 2 Peter, written by, yes, Peter. Then you get 1, 2 and 3 John, written by his cousin Fred. Uh, I'll explain the reasons for, oh no, sorry, John. And then Jude, who was Jesus' other brother. All right, he wrote a letter as well. So there you've got the teaching books called that because they're written to Christians and churches in order to teach them about how to live the Christian life. And then the last category in the New Testament is the prophetic category, of which there is one book, and it is Revelation. And if Genesis is beginnings or origins, which it certainly is, then Revelation gives us final endings, because it's all about the future and how history is going to be wound up and terminated. So then, basically, we've, we've you know, gone down the index in your Bibles. And, and can you see that it breaks down in a systematic and logical way that, you know, that possibly you weren't aware of? And uh, so we've got the history of Israel, and we have the prophets who fit in to that history. Then we have the biographical works of Jesus, uh, you know, sort of telling us about his life and his ministry and the gospel that he preached. You get the Acts of the Apostles, the birth of the church, you get the teaching letters, and then you get the last book about, you know, in the Bible, which obviously speaks about the future and how history is going to end and how God's going to wind everything up in exactly the same way that Genesis tells us how God started everything. So, um, you know, it's all, it's all very much more simple to get hold of than you actually thought. Remember, we're up there in that spy satellite and we're looking down like on planet Earth and we're just seeing the continents, but it's taking form. It's not detailed, but you're getting the whole picture, as it were. Now then, what we're going to do for the rest of this particular talk is that we're actually going to have a very quick belt through each Old Testament book. Now, we're not going to have a quick belt through every New Testament book, because, I mean, obviously, when you, you know, talk about the Gospels and Acts of the Apostles, I mean, obviously, they're all so familiar to everyone that it would be a bit needless to do that. We're just going to wait until we do each one in turn later on in the series. But when it comes to the Old Testament, okay, that really is the picture that we need to get. And uh, so that's what we're going to do for the rest of tonight. We're going to go through very quickly, I'm just going to paint you a thumbnail sketch 
of what every book in the Old Testament is about. And then we're going to end up with a kind of a, a general summing up of the Bible in its entirety. Okay, so just, just follow through on your index. That's, that's all you need to do. Okay, now then, first of all, Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, you have the book of origins, the beginnings of everything. You have the origin of the universe. You have the origin of man. You have the origin of sin, which of course is the problem that Jesus as the Saviour came to sort out. You have the origin of redemption. Because remember, God's work of redemption began even before Adam and Eve had sinned and needed it. And you have the beginning of Israel. Alright? So, therefore, it is the book of beginnings. And you've got Adam and Eve. Obviously, we'll see this in more detail when we go through it in a talk and give a whole talk, uh, chapter by chapter of Genesis. But obviously, you've got Adam and Eve and the fall. Uh, you've got Noah and the flood. Uh, you've, you've got the Tower of Babel. I mean, I'm just hooking out highlights at the moment. And then it takes you right up to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who were the beginning of this nation of Israel. Remember, the Old Testament is an account of a nation. So it goes up to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And the book of Genesis ends with Joseph, who was Jacob's son, kind of in Egypt as Pharaoh's number two, you know, kind of a, you know, sort of vir virtually the ruler of the world. And that's where the book of Genesis goes up to. So it's the book of origins, how God, you know, kicked everything off, how everything was set into motion. And its timeline covers from around 4000 BC, with the actual creation, um, up till about 1800 BC. So the book of Genesis covers quite a long time. You know, it's one book, but it covers quite a few years. And uh, so it starts with four, around 4000 BC at the creation, and it ends with Joseph in Egypt, which is around 1800 BC. So you've, you've got quite, quite a long period of time covered by Genesis. We'll see that obviously in more detail when we actually get on to it next time. Now then, the second book is Exodus, 300 years later. The nation of Israel is now really getting big, you know, I mean there's, there's thousands of them. 300 years later, that's quite a few generations. But in Exodus we pick up the fact that they've now become slaves in Egypt. And uh, Moses is raised up by God to lead them out of Egypt and through the wilderness to the land of Canaan. Um, reason? Well, because God has created a nation, the Old Testament being the story of that nation, because he wanted a nation through whom the man, Jesus Christ, could come. The New Testament is the account of a man. So here we see God developing and bringing that nation into being, but then obviously he wants to establish and settle the nation in a particular geographical location. Right, following Exodus, you get Leviticus. Now in the book of Leviticus, you have details of the priesthood that God created for Israel under the law. Um, you've, you've, sorry, I hadn't finished um, Exodus. Sorry, in Exodus, so go back to there, you've got the Old Covenant 
the giving of the law. How could I forget that? So you've got Moses, he leads them out of Egypt um, through the wilderness, and it's during that time that they receive the law. Okay, And also you get the instructions for the building of the tabernacle, which was kind of a tent. It was a portable temple in which they worshipped. And then on to Leviticus. And there, in that book, you have all the details and the rules and the regulations surrounding the priesthood that God set up under the law. And in that book, you get all the sacrifices that were laid out. Um, you, you get the festivals that Israel was to observe. You get the feasts, the festivals, etc., etc. And, you know, there are various other laws not covered in Exodus. And uh, it's called Leviticus because the priests were for the tr from the tribe of Levi. So Leviticus, the Levites, that's what it means. Now then, then you get the book of Numbers. And uh, that's so called because uh, it, it recalls the fact that uh, in, when Israel was in the wilderness, there was a census taken to number all the people. And uh, also the book covers the organization of Israel as a nation. So even while they were in the wilderness, God, through Moses, began to organize them into a nation to give them the civil law. Uh, so that they would understand how life was going to operate once they got into the promised land. And, um, and basically it covers their journeyings for 38 years in the wilderness following the giving of the law. So they came out of Egypt and then within a couple of years they had the law and then there were 38 years of wilderness wanderings and it's numbers which largely covers that period of their history and uh, the book of Numbers ends with them on the borders of the promised land. Then you get the book of Deuteronomy and uh, which means the second law and Deuteronomy records um, various speeches or teaching sessions that Moses gives to Israel um, as they are about to go into the promised land and, and it's Moses preparing them for the imminent taking of Canaan and what he does is that he recounts their history as a nation um, he sort of like applies God's law to them and the divine principles and how that's going to work as they settle into Canaan as a nation so really Deuteronomy carries on where Numbers actually ends and uh, so, so really there you've got the Pentateuch the five books of Moses, the law from the creation up until Israel in the wilderness but on the verge of going in to take Canaan and uh, you know the, 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 the time span is 4000 BC to the death of Moses in 1400 BC so then what you've got is that Genesis alright covers you know a lot of you know a very long period of time but Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy cover the 120 years of Moses' lifespan. And again, we'll see that in uh, loads of detail when we get onto it. The next book you've got is Joshua. Now, Joshua recalls the conquest of Canaan, the actual taking of the Promised Land. Um, Joshua takes over from Moses. Moses led them out of Egypt through the wilderness. Joshua leads them into Canaan so that now this nation that the Old Testament is all about 
now has its own land. It has a geographical location. And uh, the book of Joshua ends with the death of Joshua um, at the age of 110. Then you get the book of Judges. Carries on in me, you know, very soon after the death of Joshua. And it records the, the history of, of Israel's first 300 years in Canaan after Joshua's death. So Joshua has led them in, and now in Judges you get the history of the next 300 years of Israel's dwelling in Canaan. And uh, you basically have a, a kind of um, a time of chaos, absolute anarchy, unfaithfulness to the Lord. And uh, God judged them again and again, and, and, and the, Canaan, the, the Canaanites, who they kicked out on their way in, kept coming back and, and oppressing them because they were under God's judgment. And the people would repent, and because they repent, God raised up various people at various points during his 300 years to rescue them, you know, to save them. Um, and they were called the judges. And when we get on to that, we'll see all these people that God used during that 300 years. And uh, by the time you get to the end of Judges, you're, you're in around 1100 BC. Then you get the story of Ruth. Now, this is, this is tremendously important here, because a change happens. You need to understand, by the time we get to Ruth, something happens, and it's, it's subtle, but it's profound. Because Ruth is the story of King David's great-grandmother, Ruth became the great-grandmother of David, King David. She was a Gentile, and uh, she married um, David's half-Canaanite great-grandfather, a guy called Boaz. And we're going to see tremendous importance there that Jesus, in his genealogy, actually had a lot of Gentile, uh, you know, Gentile blood there. Because salvation was never just for Israel. It was firstly for Israel, but it was for the Gentiles as well. But the point is that from the book of Ruth onwards, it's a pivotal book in Israel's history. Because the focus from the book of Ruth onwards switches. And it switches away from merely Israel as a nation. And it kind of focuses very much on the family within that nation from whom Messiah was going to come. So, yes, the Old Testament is a book about the nation through whom Messiah was going to come, Israel. But in the book of Ruth, although obviously the focus remains on Israel, you know, throughout the rest of its history, nevertheless, the book of Ruth, because it's the story of David's great-great-grandmother and great-great-grandfather, from here on in, the focus of the Old Testament switches and hinges on the actual family of Israelites from whom Messiah was going to come. Because Jesus came from the line of David. So King David was the messianic line. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. David was from the tribe of Judah. But more specifically, obviously, in, in any tribe, you had loads and loads and loads of different families. But now the focus goes to the particular family that Messiah was going to come from, and ultimately it was the line of David. And the actual story of Ruth is set 
uh, towards the end of the time of the Judges. So the previous book was a book of Judges. And the book of Ruth was set in, in the last 50 years or so of the time covered by Judges. And so can you see the focus now moves to the actual messianic family, the family of David. And so the next book, all right, 1 Samuel, then moves on uh, to the, 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 the real kind of tight organisation of Israel in an attempt to end the anarchy. The first 300 years of Israel in Canaan, as we'll see in more detail when we do Judges, it was chaos, absolute chaos. There was no good leadership, it, it was all over the place. And in 1 Samuel, we see uh, the beginnings of real organisation to pull Israel together as God's nation. And we have the story of the disastrous rule of King Saul, the first king of Israel. And, of course, and here's the point, the fact that Saul was replaced by King David. Now, can you see why the book of Ruth comes before 1 Samuel? Because we're switching over to the focus now on King David and his family, because Jesus came from King David. And then in 2 Samuel, you get the actual reign of David himself. So 1 Samuel covers kind of like the disastrous reign of Saul um, and, 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 and David, you know, sort of like being anointed in his place. But of course David then for many years became an exile. And it's only in 2 Samuel, after the death of Saul, that we have the actual kingship of David. And when you get to the reign of King David, you are at 1000 BC, give or take a few minutes, all right. So then, after 1 and 2 Samuel comes 1 and 2 Kings. Now then, 1 Kings now moves on to the history of the reign of Solomon, who was of course David's heir. So Solomon was David's son and he was the one who took over the kingdom from David. So he was the messianic line. And also in 1 Kings you get the building of the temple in Jerusalem, a, a tremendously important, um, you know, sort of like event in Israel's history. Remember it was David who really wanted to build that temple. And uh, much of the design was actually given to David, but it was built by Solomon under his reign. Okay. Now then, 1 Kings follows through to Solomon's death. <coughs> and then traces the events of what happened after Solomon's death. And this is where Israel's history starts to get a bit complicated, but believe me, by the end of this series you will know it in detail, all right? Because it was after the death of Solomon, and 1 Kings records all this, that you have the division of the kingdom. Now, what happened was there was this guy called Jeroboam, and uh, after the death of, uh, you know, I mean, he wasn't, you know, um, I mean, he, he was sort of, you know, he wasn't a brother, he wasn't family, all right? And after the death of Solomon, basically, he led a rebellion. And ten of the tribes of Israel went after him, and he established his own kingdom of Israel in the north. And ten of the tribes went with him. Now, Solomon's son, all right, 
was called um, Rehoboam. And he was the messianic line. And he remained as king in the south. And there were only two tribes that stuck with him, Judah and Benjamin. And what happened in time was that the southern kingdom came to be known as Judah, all right, because Judah and Benjamin stayed with um, Rehoboam. And of course, Rehoboam being the son of Solomon and the grandson of David himself came from the tribe of Judah. So the southern kingdom, which was the messianic line, was called Judah. Whereas we now have a breakaway kingdom in the north. So in effect, we've got two nations of Israel now. We've had civil war and we've got two nations. The northern nation being led initially by this bloke Jeroboam, having taken ten of the tribes with him. So ten of the tribes are in allegiance to him and the other, uh, the other two are in allegiance to the line of David. Now, the northern kingdom became known as Israel, the southern kingdom became known as Judah. Now, what happened to the northern kingdom is that uh, sort of 200 years later, this northern kingdom, Israel, was carted off into captivity by the Assyrians the Assyrians invaded and they carted them all off. And basically, that northern kingdom, the ten tribes, were never heard of again. And that is why, to this day, they're called the ten lost tribes. Because that northern kingdom, which was not in the Messianic line, was invaded by Assyria, taken off into captivity, but never came back. And the ten tribes were completely lost. And we'll see more of the history of that when we do the more detailed studies um, in future weeks, all right? Whereas the, um, the southern kingdom, Judah, lasted a bit longer, but they were eventually, and this is all because of unfaithfulness to God, they were eventually invaded by the Babylonian Empire and taken off into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. But, as we'll see shortly, the southern kingdom made a comeback. They actually came back from their captivity. But the northern kingdom, the ten tribes who seceded, who, who created a kingdom of their own that they shouldn't have had, they, after they were carried off by the Assyrians, they were lost, as it were, for all time. When I say lost for all time, they'll be back in the Great Tribulation. But, um, you know, they're, they're lost as far as, uh, you know, sort of like life is concerned at the moment. So, what you've got there in 1 Kings is the rule of Solomon and then this division of the kingdom after his death and, uh, you know, sort of like various aspects of its history, alright. And in fact, in 2 Kings, you have the details of, um, you know, sort of like of, of, of the eventual carting off of, of Israel by the Assyrians and then um, eventually the captivity of Israel, the southern kingdom, a hundred years later. So basically, one kings and two kings cover that aspect of their history, all right? So you've got the reign of Solomon, his death. You've got the division of the nation. You've got this kind of civil war. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It's the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, which are in the messianic line. The northern kingdom wasn't. Eventually, the northern kingdom was taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. They were never heard of again. 
A hundred years later, the southern kingdom, Judah, were carted off by the Babylonians, but as we will see, they returned and re-established themselves in the land later. So that's 1 and 2 Kings. Now, when you come on to 1 and 2 Chronicles, uh, you've, you've, you've probably found this, that when you get to them, you're reading stuff that you've read before. Because 1 and 2 Chronicles basically retells the story of the reign of, of David and retells the story of the reign of Solomon. So it's repeat history. So 1 and 2 Chronicles largely are repeated bits from earlier books. And uh, you need to actually understand why. And it's because in 1 and 2 Chronicles, you have books that are covering the same history as has been covered by 2 Samuel and 1 Kings, and 2 Kings. But it's covering the same history from a different point of view. And the reason is because 1 and 2 Chronicles were written after the southern kingdom had come back from the Babylonian captivity. So the point is, eventually, Judah, the southern kingdom, they got carted off by the Babylonians, but eventually they came back. After 70 years, they came back and re-established themselves back in the land. And of course, it was important to remind the people of their history and the sort of stuff they got up to that led them into the captivity in the first place. And so, 1 and 2 Chronicles retells Israel's history from David onwards, but does so from the point of view of a nation starting off afresh, and it really emphasises the glory of the kingdom under David. It doesn't say anything about the divided kingdom, because the northern kingdom has long been gone. For 170 years, they vanished. So it's retelling Israel's history, but in such a way that would really encourage you know, everyone in this new venture of, of, of moving back into the land. I mean, it, it sort of, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, for instance, with King David, it doesn't go into his sins. You know, now when you get, you know, sort of like the Kings and the Samuel accounts, they're very honest. But 1 and 2 Chronicles, they just home in on the good bits. Because it's kind of, you know, come on lads, let's, let's remind ourselves of the glorious history we've got and the glorious future that we've got. And so, basically, in 1 Chronicles, you have the retelling of the reign of King David from the viewpoint of Israel having come back into the land after returning from the Babylonian captivity. And then in 2 Chronicles, you get the retelling of the reign of Solomon from exactly the same perspective, from exactly the same viewpoint. And uh, so, in some ways, it's kind of 1 and 2 Chronicles is what you would call a revisionist history. It's not that anything in there isn't true. It is all true. But it picks out the best bits. It's a bit of a glorified history. Nothing is made up. Everything in it is absolutely true. But it picks out the very best. So it skips over, for instance, David's sin with Bathsheba. Uh, it skips over the fact that Solomon backslid. You see what I mean? Because that, that wasn't really the stuff they wanted to be reminded of. They wanted to be reminded of the glory so that they could head for that again. So 1 and 2 Chronicles is a revisionist history written after the southern kingdom has returned from the captivity. All right. Now then, when you get on to Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther, 
These are the last three of the historical books, and they all go together. Because, before we came on to 1 and 2 Chronicles, what we've got so far is the history of Israel and Judah up to the Babylonian captivity. All right? So now, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, these are the books that give us the history of how Judah returned from the captivity and re-established themselves in the land. And uh, Ezra is quite blatantly, it's the story of how the Jews came back into Israel from the Babylonian captivity. Because even though they'd been taken into captivity after 70 years, the Lord raised up a Babylonian king who was pro-Israel and followed the Lord and sent them all back home because the judgment was over. And the story of Ezra tells us how that happened and how when Israel got back into the land, uh, they rebuilt the temple and began to re-establish their life um, in the Promised Land. And by the time you get to Ezra, the date you're dealing with is about 520 BC. Remember, King David was about 1000 BC. So the ensuing history of the, the divided tribes and the captivities and that, we've covered 500 years more and now they're coming back into the land. And then you get Nehemiah, about 80 years later, the temple has been rebuilt, but Jerusalem's walls are still in ruins. And the point is that no city really had independence without its walls, because it was open to attack. The walls around a city were its declaration of independence. And yet, at this point, the walls in Jerusalem are still devastated. You know, from the captivity, from when the Babylonians marched in and wrecked the city. And so the story of Nehemiah, I mean, Ezra was the priest who got the building of the temple going, and Nehemiah was, was the guy who got the rebuilding of the walls and Jerusalem going. And then you get the story of Esther. Now, Esther actually fits in between Ezra and Nehemiah, all right? Because Ezra and Nehemiah is the story of how Judah came back into the land. But the story of Esther is um, about a, a Jewish woman who became the queen of Persia. Now the point is, Israel was carted off into, into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. But while Israel was in captivity, the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Persian Empire. All right? And it was this change of empire that eventually facilitated Israel being allowed to return home. But what happened is that Esther was a Jewish girl and she ended up the queen of Persia. And she was in such a powerful position and um, her cousin, Mordecai, who kind of brought her up, um, he, he kind of foiled a plot against the king of Persia. And because he was um, Esther's cousin and because Esther was the queen, um, he could foil this attempt to assassinate the king. And of course, it, it gave him great prestige in the Persian Empire. And, uh, you know, so therefore, uh, they were in the position to facilitate the return of Israel. And about that time as well, there was a plot afoot um, in the Persian Empire to destroy Israel. Uh, there was this particular character who was very powerful in the Persian Empire, and he hated Mordecai, and he hated the Jews. 
And what he was going to do was to have the Persian king sign an edict, which he did, that would have, uh, on a particular day, every Israelite in the Persian Empire was going to be put to death. And it was because Esther and Mordecai were in the position that they were in that they were able to foil that plot. And, uh, you know, the king, rather than eventually destroying the Jews, decided that he liked the Jews because he found out he was married to one, Esther, and that her cousin Mordecai had saved his life. And so it was a real turning of the tables on Satan there, and therefore the story of Esther tells us about, you know, this Jewish girl and her cousin who were in this really high position in Persia who were able to facilitate the return of Israel back into the Promised Land. So there, basically, you have the kind of historical books from the creation up to where the Old Testament history comes to an end, about 400 BC. Now then, the five poetical books, do these really quickly, and um, Job, as we'll see when we get there, deals with the problem of suffering. Or, more specifically, why do the righteous suffer uh, when the wicked uh, often have, have a great time? And, uh, you know, sort of it's a book saying, how do you square the justice of God with the fact that the righteous suffer while the wicked, you know, kind of seems to be laughing all the way to the bank, as it were. It's the, uh, the problem of what the theologians call theodicy, the problem of suffering in the light of God's goodness and God's justice. So we'll be seeing that when we get there. You see why it's called a poetical or a wisdom book. It's written as a poem and it's dealing with a philosophical question. Although it is a historical book, Job was a historical character with historical friends and we'll see that when we get there. Then you get Psalms, uh, which, which was Israel's hymn book. Not, not much more to say about that here. Uh, Proverbs, written largely by Solomon. Um, oh, Psalms was written largely by David. Proverbs, written largely by Solomon before he backslid, because we'll see when we get there how Solomon backslid. Um, Ecclesiastes, uh, pretty, you know, sort of like thought by, by most respectable scholars to have been written by uh, Solomon as well. Um, and, and it's a book where Solomon is looking back on his backsliding. And he's kind of outlining, as it were, philosophy as seen through the eyes of someone who doesn't have the Lord. It's Solomon outlining his philosophy as a backslider when he was backslidden. So he's come back to the Lord, but he's writing about the futility of what his philosophical outlook was when he was backslidden. So that's why when you read through Ecclesiastes, you get lots of things in it that are unbiblical, because <laughs> it's looking at the backslidden state, all right? Um, and then you get the Song of Solomon, written by Solomon, obviously, which is the glorification of wedded love. So you see kind of like the real emphasis there on David and Solomon in those books, you know. And again, remember that the focus is really now on the messianic family, the actual family, the line of David, uh, the tribe of Judah from whom Messiah was actually going to come. And obviously we'll see those five books in more detail. Right, then you move on to the prophetic books. Now, where, where do they fit into the historical books, all right? Um, let's, let's go through and read. They're basically in chronological order, but some of them are out of chronological order. So, we're doing this as the books occur in the Bible, and the prophetic books are largely...
chronological, but not necessarily, all right, but largely. Anyway, Isaiah first. Isaiah, now he was a prophet of Judah, all right, he lived in the southern kingdom, and um, it was at the time that Israel in the northern kingdom was destroyed by Assyria and taken into captivity. So you've got the northern kingdom being destroyed and taken into captivity by Assyria. Down in the south, you've got the ministry of Isaiah. And Isaiah largely saved Judah from a similar fate. Because had Judah not repented, it would have happened to them as well. So Isaiah largely was the means whereby the southern kingdom was delivered from being taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Then you get Jeremiah. Now Jeremiah was a hundred years after Isaiah. And uh, basically, uh, is, you know, the southern kingdom are getting out of fellowship now, just like the northern kingdom, only they don't repent. And Jeremiah seeks to bring the nation to repentance. It fails, and so the southern kingdom are carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. And, uh, you know, so Jeremiah could have been the means of national salvation had the people repented, but they didn't. They didn't in the north, <laughs> all right, and now they're not in the south, so off they get carted. Lamentations is kind of, is, is Jeremiah's lament over the destruction of Jerusalem because of the invading Babylonian army. The destruction of the land because God's people are out of fellowship. Then you get Ezekiel. Ezekiel was the same time as Jeremiah. Now he was, he was taken off to Babylon in the captivity and um, about 11 years before Jerusalem was actually destroyed. And, um, and he, he kind of prophesied judgment on the Gentile nations who were destroying Israel, but also prophesied that, uh, that the Hebrew nation would return to the land. So he was a prophet in the captivity, but he was declaring that God's judgment would fall on the Babylonian Empire and on the other Gentile nations for what they were doing to Israel, but also he prophesied that the captivity would only be for a while and that the southern nation would be saved and returned to the land, unlike the northern kingdom, which had vanished without trace. Then you get Daniel. Now, Daniel was also in the Babylonian captivity. He appeared at the same time, so he was a kind of a contemporary of Ezekiel. And... Um, Loads and loads of prophecies from him about the eventual coming of the Messiah. Um, I mean, about the return from the captivity into the land, but also about the end times. And uh, the book of Daniel is the Old Testament counterpart to Revelation. The, the, the two books interpret each other. So you can only understand one with the other. So, so largely they're prophecies about the return of Israel into the land, eventually, from the captivity, then prophecies about the coming of Messiah, and prophecies about the end times, and, uh, you know, the second coming, etc., etc. Then you get Hosea, now, you know, sort of um, Hosea. Now, he was a prophet to the northern kingdom in its last years before it was taken off into the Assyrian captivity, all right? So, you know, he was one of the guys, look, repent, or, you know, sort of like, you know, this judgment's going to come on us and we're going to be taken off into captivity. That was Hosea. They didn't listen to him. Uh, then you get Joel. Now, now, Joel is thought to have been a prophet in the southern kingdom, in Judah, but it's, 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 it's a bit difficult to date him. But, uh, you know, as we'll see when we get there, he was probably like around the Two Kings, Two Chronicles era. You know, that, that kind of, you know, time span. 
Um, then you get Amos, and uh, he, he was a prophet in the southern kingdom, but he prophesied to the northern kingdom. So, so here was a prophet from the south who was going up north to say, look, you've got to repent or you're going to be taken off into captivity. And they didn't, you know, listen to him. So Hosea was doing it and, you know, Amos was doing it. They didn't listen. So again, he's in the two kings, two chronicles, kind of like period of history. Then you get o Obadiah. And um, now Obadiah, he was a kind of, um, I suppose he's, you you call him the opposite of an evangelist, really, because, I mean, he kind of prophesied doom against the Gentiles. So he was going to the Gentiles, specifically the Edomites, who had uh, really given Israel a bad time over the years, and kind of the Edomites, God said, you know, like, you know their, their time has come. I'm, I'm going to sort the Edomites out. And uh, Obadiah was, was, was sent in there with that message, you know, sort of, you know, you've had it basically, was, um, you know, the message of Obadiah to the Edomites, as we'll see. Then you get the prophet of Jonah, uh, sorry, the prophet Jonah. Now, he was kind of like the opposite to Obadiah, because um, he was from Israel, the northern kingdom, um, but some, about 70 years before Assyria invaded and carted them all off. Now, what happened was that, um, you know, God sent him to... Uh, sort of like uh, to Assyria, all right, to the Assyrians, Nineveh being the capital city, and uh, to preach the gospel to them. Now, he hated them, couldn't stand them, didn't want to go, but God got him there and made him do it. And he preached the gospel, and they all got converted. So he, he was a bit miffed about that. Um, you know, but basically, there we have him as a prophet, but basically working as an evangelist to the Assyrians. And, you know, virtually the whole city of Nineveh got converted. Um, and yet, 70 years later, they'd reverted back to type and they invaded Israel and, 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 and carted them off. Um, then you get the, the prophet Micah. And, uh, you know, Micah kind of, he, 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 he prophesied to both kingdoms, north and south. You know, re real advance warning, you know, warning them about the captivities. Um, you know, so again, same, you know, sort of like appearing in kind of like after the divided kingdom onwards in, in that kind of, of time frame. And uh, then you get um, Nahum. Now, Nahum was 150 years after Jonah brought Nineveh to the Lord, all right? And, uh, and Nahum now goes into prophesy's doom. So what happened was that God sent Jonah in and Nineveh got converted. But obviously, by 70 years later, a new generation of Assyrians had been brought up. They forsook the Lord, invaded Israel and carted them off. And now, you know, sort of 80 years later, after Assyria has destroyed the northern kingdom, in goes Nahan and uh, prophesies God's judgment against the Assyrians. You know, saying that God is going to judge you for what you've done to Israel. So uh, there you get, you know, sort of Nahum. And he was doing that uh, shortly before the Babylonian captivity of the southern kingdom. So that was kind of ironic, really, that, you know, he, he was up there prophesying doom on Assyria for having invaded the northern kingdom when, 
obviously, you know, the Babylonians are just round the corner waiting to invade the southern kingdom because the southern kingdom, like the northern kingdom, had completely fallen away from the Lord and so judgment was, was coming upon them. Uh, then you get Habakkuk, Judah, down in the south, Habakkuk. And uh, this is just, just a few years before the Babylonians invade. And uh, what the book of Habakkuk depicts for us is his struggle, again, with a philosophical or a theological problem. And it's basically this. It's Habakkuk struggling with the fact, how can God, he, he, he had no problem with God judging the nation, Judah. He had no problem with that. He knew that Judah was completely unfaithful. God judging, no problem. But what he couldn't understand is how could it be that God was going to judge them through uh, a, a nation who were even more evil than they were. So what Habakkuk is saying, we've been very evil and we deserve judgment. He says, but how can you use the Babylonians to judge us? They're more evil than we are, by far. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that, that problem that he has gets, you know, sort of sorted out when God speaks to him. And uh, then you get Ze Zephaniah, or Zephaniah, and uh, he was a, a contemporary of Habakkuk and Jeremiah, and, uh, you know, and again, he was prophesying shortly before the Babylonians actually came in and, and carted the southern kingdom off. Then you get Haggai. Now, now with Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi, we now skip to the period of history when Israel is returning from the captivity back into the land because Haggai helped Israel get the temple rebuilt. Remember, under Ezra, they came back into the land and uh, they were rebuilding the temple. And uh, Haggai was a prophet raised up at the time to help them to do that. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, he fits in with Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther, that sort of time frame. And uh, then you get Zechariah, who worked with Haggai. So, you know, you get a book of Zechariah. He and Haggai worked together. And there are various prophecies in, in Zechariah, as we'll see about, you know, not just the, you know, them coming back into the land, but, but, but various prophecies about the end times as well. And uh, then you get Malachi, the very last book in the Bible, and he appeared about 100 years after Haggai and Zechariah. So Israel are well and truly established back in the land now. You know, the temple is rebuilt, the city is rebuilt, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's his book that actually closes the Old Testament around 400 BC. So now let's tie it all up. All right. From Genesis to Judges, the Old Testament focuses on the nation from which Messiah would come. That is the purpose of, that book, of those books. Remember, the Old Testament, the account of a nation. The New Testament, the account of a man. All right? So, from Genesis to Judges, the Old Testament focuses on the nation as a whole, the creation and preservation of this nation from whom Messiah was going to come. But then after Judges, you get the book of Ruth. And from then on, remember Ruth, David's great-grandmother. From Ruth onwards, the history of Israel is then told, but focusing far more specifically, and on the line of David, the actual family from whom Messiah would come. So, 
the messianic line is established as being David and Solomon and the southern kingdom, Judah. All right, the southern kingdom. Remember, eventually the northern kingdom vanished from sight. It wasn't messianic at all. So, what you've got is from Genesis down to Judges, the nation is in view, just the entire nation. But from Ruth onwards, it's the family. The history of the same nation, but focusing on the particular family that Messiah would come through the actual line of David himself and the southern kingdom. And what we can do now, okay, is, 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 is what you might call the, the, the quickest Bible survey of, of all time. How can I sum up everything that we've covered so far? The ultimate thumbnail sketch, all right. Okay, it's basically this. What is the Bible about? God created man in his own image and placed him in the Garden of Eden. The idea simply being God wanted a family, all right? But man sinned and he fell. Sin came into the world, men and women fell short of what God had designed them to be. So therefore, God institutes redemption, the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation, in order to undo everything that happened when Adam and Eve fell. And that plan of redemption was inaugurated when God called a guy called Abraham and set him apart and created out of him, through his children and ancestors, a nation. A nation that would belong to God, the nation of Israel. And it was through that nation that the plan of salvation, through the coming of the Messiah, when God would become a man and deal with sin, it was through the founding of that nation that eventually the man, Jesus, could appear and finish the plan of salvation on the cross. So, Abraham, this, this man who's going to be the first of a great nation, is called out of Babylon, where he actually lived, he was a native there, into the land of Canaan. That's where he went to live. And his descendants grew, but eventually migrated to Egypt. And it was whilst they were in Egypt that they grew to be a great nation, albeit without yet a land of their own. But as they grew, they became a threat to the Egyptians, who enslaved them. And so after 400 years, <clears throat> this nation are the slaves of the Egyptians. So then they were led out of Egypt by Moses through the promise uh, through the wilderness into a land that was going to be theirs and they were led into that by Joshua and there in this land of Canaan over the course of four five hundred years and culminating in the reigns of David and Solomon who were the messianic line they grew to be one of the mightiest nations on the earth so, after four or five hundred years of being in the land, Israel was actually one of the, about the number one nation on the earth under the reign of David and Solomon. And they were the messianic line. But then, with the death of Solomon, the kingdom divided. There was the northern kingdom, ten tribes, called Israel. And uh, 
That was founded by a guy called Jeroboam, who was its first king, who wasn't of the Messianic line. So you have kind of like a civil war, a division, all right? And that northern kingdom, Israel, lasted for about 200 years. After which time it was invaded by Assyria, who were the main world power at that time, and uh, carted off. That's around 700 BC. And uh, those ten tribes were never heard of again, and have never been heard of to this day. Just vanished, taken into captivity, and that was it. However, the southern kingdom, Judah, Judah and Benjamin stayed loyal to Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, and because Rehoboam, the king, was of the tribe of Judah, it was called Judah, all right? Uh, the southern kingdom was the messianic line. But nevertheless, even though God greatly blessed them, the nation became unfaithful and God judged them. And so about a hundred years after Israel had been carted off into captivity by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom, Judah, were carted off into captivity by the Babylonians. And that was about 600 BC. However, after 70 years, a remnant are sent back from that captivity into the land. And they re-establish their national life back in the land of Canaan, in the Promised Land. And it is soon after that that the Old Testament closes. That is the end of the history that the Old Testament deals with. However, 400 years later, Jesus, who is this long-awaited Messiah of Old Testament history, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Seed of David, the, the, the one of whom it's all about, the one for whom all history had set the stage. 400 years later, this Jesus lived, died, and rose again, accomplishing and completing the redemption and the plan of salvation that was inaugurated back in the Garden of Eden. And he completed it. It was all finished. He then commanded his disciples to carry the good news of that redemption to the ends of the earth. That's the biographical books. And then, in the Acts of the Apostles, we have the church that he founded carrying out that mission. And in the letters, we have all the information that we need written by various leaders of that church. All the teaching, all the truth, all the principles that we need uh, to know how to live the life that God has called us to as disciples. And then in Revelation, we're given all the details that we need about the future uh, that is, is eventually going to come upon us and, and, and the way that God is going to wind up history and bring it to an end. And at the end of that history, God will have exactly what it was he set out to get back in Genesis, but didn't, because of sin. He will have the planet Earth populated by men and women in his image who love him and serve him purely for himself alone. Purely for himself alone. And so there you have it. 
the whole Bible in one talk. And uh, next time, we'll move on to Genesis, and we'll start doing out one talk per book. But you've got the thumbnail sketch, and uh, so I'll leave it there. And um, I wonder how everyone would do if we had a test on it. I know it's a lot to take in, but the thumbnail sketch of the Bible. So we'll leave that there.